to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming to her, he said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at what was said and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of David his father, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. But Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I have no relations with a man? The angel said to her in reply, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible to God. Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. It widely appears among the lists of the 100 greatest films ever made. It won five Academy Awards and quickly became the prototype for the action-adventure film drama. Larger-than-life movie sets, stunts, and special effects. It had a very memorable soundtrack. Explosions and chases, a band of bad guys trying to foil the hero's mission and a coveted prize, something rare, something powerful and precious, something hallowed and holy. It was the brainchild of Star Wars creator George Lucas and -and up-and-coming director Steven Spielberg, whose career had just taken off after the release of his blockbuster, Jaws. The main character lives on in popular culture, appearing in yet another movie earlier this year. But it was the original 1981 film that set the famed archaeologist Indiana Jones out on a quest to recover the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark itself was a golden chest, a biblical relic, intricately designed and thought to bring invincibility to whomever had it in their possession. Ultimately, in the course of the movie, Indiana Jones saves it from falling into enemy hands, the hands of the Nazis, 
allowing it once more to be moved into a secret hidden location, safe from any evil intent that someone might want to have with it. Raiders of the Lost Ark certainly piques the human imagination about these kinds of elusive, one-of-a-kind objects. But unlike things of fantasy that you might find in Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings, the Ark of the Covenant actually did exist. It was as real as you and me here today, the most sacred object and relic of the Old Testament. It was during his 40-day meeting with God on the top of Mount Sinai, after leading the people out of slavery in Egypt, that Moses received the, the plans for how to even construct this Ark of the Covenant. It was supposed to be a large wooden box, plated with gold inside and out. And around its edges, it was given rings so that poles could be inserted through it so that the ark could be carried anywhere that the people went. On the top of the ark were these two cherubim, these large angels, whose wings spread out and they covered the top of the ark, giving it a sense of protection and divine intervention. Inside the ark were meant to be the most precious objects of the Israelite people, Inside were to be contained the Ten Commandments, a symbol of God's authority and of his power, but also his mercy upon his people, his divine protection of them, his desire for their goodness. And so this ark was dutifully carried everywhere that the people traveled. Everywhere, for 40 years, they carried the ark until they reached the Promised Land. And so to follow the story of God's people in Scripture is to follow the Ark of the Covenant. In moments of great triumph, the Ark was there. It brings the Israelites through the Jordan River, and it causes the walls of Jericho to fall to the ground. Also, in moments of stunning defeat, the Ark was there. The Philistines actually steal the Ark away, but after they themselves find that the ark is bringing them all kinds of misfortunes, in a moment of superstition, they give the ark back to the Israelites, basically saying, you take it away, we don't want it anymore. And so much like God's people in the wilderness, the ark lacks a permanent home. It, arc, it lacks a place where it can say, this is my resting place. Until King David. Until King David makes the great decision to bring the ark to its resting place. To bring it to Jerusalem. To bring it to Mount Zion. It's a moment of great rejoicing and celebration for the people as they finally understand that this is to be the home of God. And so scripture says, David and all the house of Israel danced before the Lord with all of their might, with singing, with lyres, with harps and tambourines and sistrums and cymbals. Why? Why do they dance? Why do they sing and shout? Because God is at home. God is at home with them. 
dwelling with his people once and for all without any kind of question about where God might be residing, God is reaffirming his love and affection for them at home with them. But still, something is missing. Something is incomplete about this whole situation. And this is where our first reading takes up today. David is at rest in his palace He's presiding over a great time of peace in the land of Israel. He's unburdened by any kind of threat from the foe. And finally, he has a chance by himself to consider the significance of what has happened. The Ark of the Covenant, it's here. But it's not just some box that has survived mountains and valleys, deserts and rivers, a time of captivity and enemy territory, he realizes that the Ark of the Covenant is the dwelling, it's the presence of God himself, the God of all the universe who has chosen his people. And so we hear in Scripture today, David say, here I am, I'm dwelling in this mighty fortress, this stronghold, this house of luxury, But my God, my God is next door dwelling in a tent. Where is his dwelling? The God who delivered his people with mighty hand and outstretched arm. The God who swallowed up the enemies. The God who guided his people through rivers and valleys and deserts. The worst perils imaginable. He deserves a fitting and honorable home. Not just some tent to cover up a box in the rain and the wind. But even without a physical temple just yet, God turns toward David and he says, David, I know you're going to promise me to make me a house, but here's what I'm going to promise you first. I'm going to build the house. I am going to make you the house. I'm going to make your family your relatives, all the generations to come after you, I will dwell with you. I will make you the house in which I dwell. Friends, what great generosity of our God, what great friendship that our God shows us, what great love God the Father has for us because he always takes the first step. He always takes the initiative to bend toward us to promise the benefits of his grace and the fulfillment of his promise. God chooses us as his house. God chooses us as his temple, his holy sanctuary, his resting place, his ark. And so the prophet Nathan assures David, David, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. He is within you. And so we hear the same greeting as the angel Gabriel comes to Mary in the gospel as he says, Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with you. The Lord dwells within you. In a privileged way, God chooses Mary to be the ark of the new covenant, the chosen vessel by which to bring the Son of God into the world. Like the ark of old that carried Israel's prized possession, 
Mary carries within her womb the most sacred gift that God could ever give to the world. But unlike the Ark of Old, Mary is not some wooden box. She is a living temple. She is a temple of flesh and blood, bringing forth a God of flesh and blood. She is the Ark of the Incarnation by which God visits his people as a God of flesh and blood, as a God just like you and me, a human being, but a human being who is divine, who is the Son of God, the God of the universe, the God from all ages. He comes to visit us as a human person. My friends, in these final days, actually these final hours of Advent, God's promise of a house to David and God's selection of Mary as the house for the Savior highlight that we too are meant to be houses for the Lord. Each of us here today and the countless people that we encounter in the course of every day beyond the physical walls of this church, every single person is meant to be a house for the Lord. God comes to dwell with his people and in his people. There's no need for an Indiana Jones action-packed adventure to find the lost ark because it's already here. Jesus is here. Jesus dwells within us. You are the ark. I am the ark. We celebrate this great mystery every time we come to the Holy Eucharist and we receive the body of Christ. And then we become what we receive. St. Augustine said, Behold what you are, become what you receive. Become the body of Christ. Become the temple of the Lord. Become the ark of his presence. You are his prized possession, his favored one. Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with us. And so, as we approach Christmas tonight and tomorrow, may we pray that Jesus may be born in us and through us and be born for a world which so desperately longs for his presence.